0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org.
0: I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. All this week, we've been marking the 25th anniversary of the 1995 heat wave that struck Chicago. 739 people died. Many of them were elderly residents from the city's poorest neighborhoods on the south and west sides. Those deaths were caused as much by inequality as by high temperatures and incompetent leadership. As we speak, another heat wave is pushing Chicago temperatures in the mid-90s, 10 degrees above average. So, have we learned our lesson? How prepared is the city today for something like this? Suzanne Malik McKenna is the former commissioner of the Department of Environment for the city of Chicago. After the heat wave, it was her job to create plans for the city to better protect residents... Future extreme heat. Also with us, Dr. David Ansel. He's an executive at the Westside United Health Collaborative and a physician at Rush University Health Center. He's also the author of "The Death Gap: How Inequality Kills." David, Suzanne, welcome to Reset. Hey, thanks for having me. And Dr. Ansel, let me start with you. When you look at what happened in 1995 this week in July, what, what led to this level of a disaster? Why did so many people die?
2: Well, uh, disasters like heat waves. Uh, Katrina, another environmental disaster, even coronavirus actually pulled back the curtain on the underlying social chasms uh, in our uh, society, particularly here in Chicago, that determine who live and who die. In the case of the heat wave, you know, bodies were piling up, uh, and there was actually conflict about what was uh, happening in the city of Chicago, and uh, you know, people just didn't have ready access uh, to. Uh, places to cool. They were socially isolated mm-hmm. uh, in neighborhoods. People had windows uh, uh, nailed shut. Uh, and so we were not prepared as a society to deal with actually uh, the underlying uh, social uh, structures. That We saw that uh, in, during the heat wave, but also in Katrina, where the evacuation plan was get in a car and drive out of the city. Right. But those who didn't have cars couldn't. In the heat wave, those who didn't have air conditioning or access to cooling for those who uh, were more likely to die.
0: You mentioned that phrase, just the idea of nailing your windows shut. When you think about that, that's done in the name of security in some neighborhoods with high crime levels and, and people who are trying to protect themselves from break-ins. To think about the concept of, of a nailed window uh, versus the fact of extreme heat, how much of a role did that play, the fact that, that people lived in these neighborhoods that had uh, rampant crime and other things like that?
2: I think you have to look at this as a form of structural violence uh, designed into uh, how our neighborhoods are actually uh, working uh, and functioning. And structural racism, uh, the legacy of redlining, organized segregation, over years uh, left people uh, isolated and uh, uh, without uh, social connections, Mm -hmm. and if it's a high-crime neighborhood, finding ways to keep themselves safe. It was the social isolation and the lack of air conditioning in the end. I mean, there were structural problems uh, that could have easily been solved. And I, actually, the city was very delayed in responding uh, to the heat wave. So it wasn't just the fact that it was a uh, heat wave. It was the failure of the city to recognize that the structural conditions in some neighborhoods would cause uh, more people to die, particularly in black neighborhoods in Chicago, not so different from what we're seeing with COVID. So I think it's a a complex set of uh, issues that compile on top of each other. It's not just poverty. It's concentrated poverty in neighborhoods. Because if you were poor in a wealthier neighborhood, maybe there was a a store or a place or a a library you could go to cool off, and that wasn't uh, really possible in many of these neighborhoods.
0: I want to bring in Suzanne. Suzanne, when... When we talk about this happening in July of 95, and you came in after the fact, how was the city processing all of this when figuring out how to move forward?
1: Well, I have to say, listening, Dr. Ansel, it immediately tells me how our structural racism is still alive and well. I think the city did look at it as cooling centers, um, getting especially the elderly to places where they can stay cool during the day, Mm -hmm. and it's a much larger issue Around energy, around the structure of people's homes and how they're able to keep cool and keep warm, be able to access water, all those things are interconnected, right? Mm-hmm. And and in the low-income low, commun- low income communities, the west and south sides, you know, they're always worried about their utilities being turned off, for instance. Right now, the utilities have to uh, keep on uh, November 1 to April 1, and they extended it for COVID, but what about the summer when they need air conditioning or even fans, So I think the way it was dealt with was in these kind of pods of areas around the city, but it didn't address across communities. It didn't address, you know, much larger swaths of people elderly or not that were negatively impacted by the extreme heat in, in a bunch of different ways.
0: And I think about when we try to, to to make it about now and whether or not we're prepared, let's just specifically talk about a heat wave of that, of that length again. And that, that, you know that temperature. One of the, the the factors, of course, was was like we're talking about uh, poverty and not being able to afford or have air conditioning. And the other was just this idea, of this urban heat island, this this concept of there are no cooling spaces in some of these neighborhoods. If you're on the north side of Chicago or more affluent areas within your block, you're going to have stores, uh, grocery stores, restaurants, uh, movie theaters, whatever you might have that have air conditioning that you can dip into for a couple hours to cool off. Those aren't there. What's there instead on, in some neighborhoods on the south and west side are abandoned lots.
1: Exactly. And, and I think, you know, a very quick thing, you know, when you sit under the shade of a tree, it's 12 degrees cooler immediately. Um, and when you have green spaces, the urban heat island is broken up. And um, I use this all the time. Um, but city hall roof, we put a green roof on it mm-hmm. on a 72-degree overcast day. That site was 72 degrees. On the Cook County side, the black tar side, it was 120 degrees, and so when you have excess vacant lots and concrete, et cetera, it reverberates even more. And even in the in the evening, the heat from the concrete flows back out and hits the buildings even more.
0: When you think about that, and you think about all of the concepts and those conversations you're having, and you know at, at as the at the Department of Environment what were the action items? what came out of that conversations what what is in place today that that directly you can point to what happened in 1995.
1: well that's a tricky question because there were a lot of things in place that have now been disbanded but we had a variety of programs first of all worked really closely with groups like open lands or the tree keepers program who are out caring for trees and now it's been turning into planting trees because we've lost so many uh and there hasn't been an investment in that because as usual or often, quote unquote greening is seen as a an extra, uh, icing on the cake, um, or if we have extra money, as opposed to important infrastructure, which addresses and connects to the structural racism issue. So it's not only quality of life around cooling, but it's also mental health, you know, feeling safe in your communities, et cetera. So a lot of trees have been planted. We started a program called Green Core Chicago, a jobs-based program that's still going 26 years later, where we were out in the communities building gardens, planting trees, distributing plants, worked on 1,100 sites during that time. So engaging people outside and giving them the tools and the support and the materials to make their spaces more livable um, was a really key aspect of what we did. And, and then there's also the whole flooding aspect of it as well.
0: David, I want to ask about the healthcare system for Chicago. So a lot was made in Eric Kleinenberg's book about the idea of South Side hospitals being on bypass at the time. Uh, a lot was made about the medical examiner's offices. How much, have cha- how much has changed since then? So what happened in 95 and our, our, our health care system's reaction to the heat wave, to, to what we see today in 2020?
2: As I said before, you know, when you have a disaster uh, or a pandemic, it uh, reveals the social fault lines that exist already. And many people think that, you know, when you look at the life expectancy gaps by neighborhoods or the black-white gap in Chicago and life expectancy, which is nine years, the largest uh, in, uh, in the country. But between neighborhoods, that gap can be as many as 30 years. You're dealing with an ongoing crisis that is uh, taking lives on a daily basis, disproportionate in some neighborhoods over another and the hospitals, and often many times uh, the, the neighborhood hospitals, uh, if they exist, are under-resourced and underfunded. Uh, we saw this during COVID when sick people would show up at some of these community hospitals, and we didn't have an organized system to transfer uh, patients uh, to higher, more complex uh, centers. During the heat wave, uh, we saw that as well. It was It was completely haphazard. I think that there's... You know better coordination on some levels, but still we we lack a systematic coordination across our health system that gets the most vulnerable to where they need uh, to get the best care, whether it being in a disaster like a heat wave, corona or even for things like breast cancer or advanced heart disease treatment. So I think the underlying structural issues that perpetuate structural racism and continue to produce bad outcomes. Are not much different. Just within the last couple months, two Southside hospitals closed their OB units. So, women, woman, uh, there's very few places on the Southside right now for women right. to deliver their babies as an example of the structural deconstruction of a safety net for people in these neighborhoods.
0: Yeah. And this question for both of you, Suzanne, I'll start with you. But when, you know, yesterday we had former Alderman Helen Schiller on the program. And she talked about how there was an emergency plan for heat in place from Mayor Hill Washington's tenure. Uh, after a heat wave in 1984, it was ignored. In 1995, uh, we see this happening from administration to administration at the federal level, at the White House, where the Obama task force on on pandemics was ignored by the Trump administration. Are we in danger of that happening again? Is there a plan in place, and our administrations kind of left to their own when it comes to this, or is there a plan like that for a heat wave? if uh, if that happens again here in Chicago? Uh,
1: I don't think there's a sufficient plan. We'll put it that way. And I think government often looks at it through an infrastructural lens and that infrastructure in this case means systems within their operational context. So for instance, the Office of Emergency Management and Communications, OEMC, is kind of the hub of a lot of these things. And you know, so they're the ones that put the information out. Or you call 311. Anybody who's called 311 understands how hard that is to get a lot of response. So a lot of people call 911 sometimes when it's not a crisis. But I think right now, you know, the communications has been worked on. You know, these centers, et cetera. But there's still a lack of understanding, and I would say even more so as a result of the last eight years or so, about how to engage at the community level, and and have trust at the community level. Yeah so that there is a way to communicate around particular issues, but more importantly, get the resources where they need to be.
0: And, and before you um, answer, David, I, I, wanna, I wanna just play this clip real quick. Dave, can we play this clip? Because that's exactly what we're talking about here. This is from Cooked, Survival by Zip Code, the documentary that we spoke with Judith Helfand earlier in the week. But this is Geraldine Flowers, uh, a church elder at Sweet Holy Baptist Church, from the documentary.
1: I think there was denial. A lot of heads uh, uh, of state were in denial of what was going on, you see, because it it didn't touch them directly. So, and because it didn't, they weren't involved directly, they didn't feel the pinch, yeah, because they had their air-conditioned places, and they had their swimming pools and things that they could go to, whereas our people didn't have any place to go.
0: David, the reason I wanted to play that was because she speaks, uh, Geraldine there speaks to this idea of uh, a disconnection, a community disconnection. And I don't mean just the mayor lives in one area. We're talking about aldermen. We're talking about all the sort of leaders of different places that if it doesn't affect them directly, there's a disconnect. And when we talk about connecting communities to understand how to fight something like a heat wave or a pandemic, it's crucial.
2: Yes. Recognizing that these uh, gaps between neighborhoods have been long-standing and not improving. Whether uh, and it only draws our attention during a crisis. On the west side of Chicago, we created West Side United to actually partner communities uh, with uh, healthcare organizations to be able to more intentionally respond to the underlying uh, foundations of this crisis, which largely economic and social in nature. It's not just a healthcare issue. It's really an intersection between Health, healthcare, housing, uh, economics of neighborhoods, poverty, as you mentioned, and education, and without a direct connection between the institutions like healthcare institutions and the communities and the city government, you know, every time a crisis comes around, we'll be like the Keystone Cops trying to get reorganized. Mm-hmm. I, I do have to say, the mayor and uh, COVID, seeing the excess black death, unlike Mayor Daly, uh, during the heat wave of 1995, where there was denial, called for a citywide racial equity rapid response uh, team that partnered community groups with the cities with the healthcare providers to be able to respond to COVID. And you know, I'm hopeful that if we end up with an uh, environmental disaster, which in many ways COVID is, it's globalization is, is, global warming, and a heat wave is uh, an environmental disaster will be better uh, able to respond. But we can't just put out the fires uh, as, a, as a strategy. We really do have to get to the underpinnings of the uh, lack of investment in these communities over 70 or 80 years. And without building up community infrastructure and community vitality through capital and human investment, we'll never, uh, we'll never get to the root cause of, of the problem.
1: If I can just add, you know, a great example is MB Pilgrim Church in the West Garfield Park area and their Maafa Redemption Project, which is a job training program, which I've started working with since end of May. The Hatches, I think Dr. Ansel knows, are really trying to address that and looking at community health workers, I think, with Rush, yeah. uh, as well as improving our surrounding environment. And that's the kind of thing that needs to happen. And so I agree the racial equity um, plan is a great way to start getting there, but it's still, we still need to work at the community level yeah. and see how the, all those connections can be made and the partnerships and the, the knowledge of what's actually happening in the community where the solutions can be devised in a way that they're much more
0: effective. Yeah. Suzanne Malik McKenna, former Department of Environment for the City of Chicago. David, Dr. David Ansell, an executive in the Westside United Health Collaborative and author of The Death Gap How Inequality Kills can't thank you enough for joining us today to talk about the 95 heat wave and whether or not we're prepared for another one, especially as we see uh, temperatures heading up over 90 degrees uh, this weekend. You guys, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. And that's today's Reset. If you missed any of our stories from our series on the deadly 1995 heat wave, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and go back and check them out. And speaking of heat wave, it's going to be a hot one for the next several days. So check on your older friends and family to make sure they're safe. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here soon.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in depth, long form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more.